fried chicken, waffles, and watermelon. I repeat, crispy fried chicken, buttermilk waffles, and cold sliced watermelon. This was on the menu at some school out of state, not New York City, in honor of Black History Month. Again, honey drizzled deep fried chicken, hot Belgian waffles, and ice cold watermelon. I don't know about the rest of you tasters, but that sounds mighty fucking good to me. Huh, let's talk about it. Welcome to my table. I am not offended. Stella Belafonte here, and thank you for joining me at my table on this Tuesday for another tasty top pick. We're going to have an appetizer because I'm greedy. Then there's the main course, which is what brought you here in the first place. And we'll end things with a sweet dessert. Boy, have I ever. I hope you're hungry. Enjoy. Hey, hey, tasters, welcome to my table on this tasty Tuesday. So as I mentioned in the intro, um, I want to get right to it. Just to let you know, my mentals, they are okay. Physically, I'm a mess. My sciatic nerve is fucking with me. It is freezing outside. New York City has finally gotten down to those um, single digits that everybody was complaining hadn't gotten here yet. You really got people that miss the winter. Where's the snow? It's not cold. It's too nice outside. Motherfuckers just like complaining. But back to the original portion of my intro. So apparently, this was some high school... Again, outside of New York City, as my girl Mary would call it, some hickory smoke school um, where the student body is predominantly black. And they have food vendors that supply the school lunches to these high schools. Aren't they lucky? Because let me tell you what I got in school. First of all, I don't care if it's Black History Month, Juneteenth. We didn't celebrate Juneteenth in New York City or in most of the states when I was in high school. I went to a Catholic high school in Brooklyn, New York, where we didn't even have a real lunch menu. We had French fries, two types of fries. You either got plain shoestring potatoes or you got seasoned fries. We had a very fine machine because they called themselves going healthy, got rid of the soda machine, and they served hot chocolate if you was cold. That was it. You put $5 to school every day for lunch. You had French fries, hot chocolate, and very fine juices. See, that's why my grown ass was getting picked up every day after school just about and um, going to Red Lobster and, and freaking Juniors because I was sitting around um, famished after having nothing for lunch but French fries. But anyway, um, yeah, so that was on this school's menu and apparently the vendor apologized to the students made a formal apology and I honestly taste this I don't get it because I know for a fact if that had popped up at my school we would have been lit we wasn't even saying lit back then what would we have said we just said oh yo that is what was we saying dope I went to high school in the 90s I don't know but I know we'd have been happy to have some fried chicken and waffles and watermelon and then I saw it, it was a post this is what I saw it on Instagram. And a lot of the comments were like, it was good to me. Everything sounded good outside of the watermelon. I'm having a problem with that, tasters. I'm so sorry that watermelon has become an issue in black American culture. It has become a source of shame because I'm going to eat watermelon. I grew up eating watermelon. I like it. I love it. It's delicious. How about maybe if I ate more watermelon and less of what I do eat? Look, less fried chicken and waffles. I wouldn't be complaining about how fucking fat I am. Yeah, the history of watermelon in New York City. New York was full of a bunch of, um, what they say, um, I guess migrants from the South, my family included. And we had a watermelon truck that used to come to the different neighborhoods all through Bed-Stuy, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill. Yes, tasters, I repeat, a watermelon truck. And our grandparents would be happy. The watermelon man is outside. And they went outside and they know how to tap and check to see which was the best and the juiciest watermelons. And they got them and they sliced them up and we ate them. And we ate them happily and joyfully and there was no shame in it. I don't know what's going on with this generation. But this is how I feel. Since watermelon is a problem, fried chicken is a problem, waffles are a problem, just don't give them nothing. I feel like nothing makes 
when I say this generation, what are they calling them, Gen Z? Nothing makes Gen Z happy. Nothing. Okay, it is Black History Month. This vendor tried, and I feel like this is happening again quite often. It happened Juneteenth. Everybody had a problem with the red velvet cheesecake ice cream. I had a problem with it not being black. I feel like, you know, you got these white professionals that sit in corporate offices and try to assume about what black people like and eat, and then that's where the problem lies. But I don't understand what the issue was with this freaking menu. There was no shade. And we're going to talk about shady moments in black history during this episode. And I don't feel that a menu consisting of buttermilk, waffles, fried chicken, and watermelon should have been a problem. Now, I could see if they were serving a menu of chitlins with cornbread and pig knuckles on the side. Now, that would have been some shady mess. But that is not what they were serving to these students. And I feel really badly that this vendor was forced to apologize. So, again, don't give them nothing. Oh, what should they give them? What, what is it that this generation is pretending to love and like so much publicly and online now? Oh, how about salmon? Honestly, tasters, when did black folks fall in love with salmon? I can remember growing up never eating salmon. And I grew up in a household with a grandmother and a grandfather that both knew how to cook. My aunt, too. And honestly, um, we ate whiteies. We ate porgies. I remember we even had a Hawaiian family living next door to us. And they would go fishing and come back with these big, crazy-looking fish. And my grandmother my grandfather knew how to scale them fish down, chop them up, and deep-fry them. We didn't eat catfish in my household either. That's another um myth in the black community. I don't know what part of the South everybody grew up eating catfish, but I didn't eat catfish. I didn't eat salmon like that. Maybe that's what they should have put on the menu for these kids, salmon. Salmon and salad, since that's what all these Gen Zs and Gen um, Millennials are pretending to love so much. Oh, what about oxtails? Since when did every nigga become an oxtail lover? I'm going to let you in on something, too, Tasters. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, around the Caribbean community, and I've been living here all my life, and I've traveled. I did not eat my first oxtail until I was grown. That's another thing that I did not see coming up in my household. My grandparents ain't never took me with them to no meat market and told the, the, the meat man, let me get three pounds of oxtails. Not saying that there's anything wrong with it, but I feel like... It's, it's trending. It's a fad now. And, and, and oxtails is something that I like, but I don't love. And they doing so much with oxtails on the menu now. You got oxtail pizza, oxtail rasta pasta. I've seen some um, restaurant where they serving oxtail egg rolls. Like, my goodness, salmon and oxtails. Salmon and oxtails combined. So maybe that's what they should have gave these kids. Salmon and oxtails with salad. And, and, and what are these kids drinking? Because ain't none of them drinking water. What are they drinking? A Gatorade on the side? Vitamin water? Smart water? My God, tasters. So speaking of food, I'm going to give you a tasty appetizer again. It is freezing outside. Oh, let me rewind, though. Let me stop myself. Didn't I get real passionate about it? Because I don't understand it. Like, come on, man. Just the fact that they even give a fuck about a specialty menu in honor of Black History Month. I feel that there's a lot to be said about that because I can imagine that a lot of children in black communities back in the days, they probably hated school lunch. I remember school lunch was like the worst when I was a kid. You had one or two things that the kids loved and I didn't love none of it. I hated it. I thought fish with cheese was disgusting. I remember they used to have these little snacks that a lot of the little niggas used to love. When I say the little niggas, I think it's Certain stuff that they only ate in certain households. And I don't want to be reprimanded or, or, or call judgmental. But I wasn't sitting in my house eating um, graham crackers with peanut butter and jelly in the middle. And that's the type of shit that was being dished out to us when I was a kid. Who remembers that dessert um, back in public schools in the, in the 80s? It was like graham crackers with peanut butter and jelly in the middle covered in chocolate. That's not even s'mores. That's fucking disgusting. But that's the type of shit that they were serving the black kids and they assume that we should like it and love it. I guess they felt like we should just be glad to have something to eat. But again, chicken, waffles, and a little watermelon on the side. Yes, the watermelon was good too. I don't see that as a problem. But as far as me tasters, as a tasty appetizer, as I am putting this 
podcast episode together. I'm getting ready to order myself some food, and then um, I'm going to take a short pause for the cause to eat. So I'm going to dial up one of my, um, it used to be one of my favorite Chinese joints, but they've been hit or miss lately. So I've been very specific and careful about what I do order. So I'm thinking I'm going to, I got a taste for crispy snacks. Look, my monthly just ended. I know you didn't ask, but I'm telling you. I'm one of those people, I don't get cravings while my period is on. I actually get the cravings after. It's like my period is over, my appetite open up, I want something good. Well, it's freezing cold outside. Like I said, we finally got this winter blast that everybody was looking for. And I'm going to order me some good Chinese food. But I want just some, some little crispy appetizers, maybe some egg rolls. I might get an order of ribs. Um, some old bay shrimps, quarter iced tea, and call it a night. Find something good to watch. Well, I wasn't here listening to um views of an ex earlier. Check that out, tasters. If you don't follow views of an ex, that is a podcast hosted by my boy Llama at Views of an Ex. He actually hosted a friend of mine slash coworker, Lance Liverpool. I have done episodes with Lance Liverpool. I'm so happy for him. It was a great episode. So check out episode 97 of Views of an Ex. That is with Lance Liverpool as the guest and the host Llama. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to order myself something delicious. I'm going to finish this podcast episode recording. Today's topic, I want to talk about black history, moments in black history that made a difference in Stella Belafonte's world. We're going to talk about moments of black shady history. Again, this was not a moment of black shade. I feel that those young people should have appreciated those menu items and they didn't. Look, send them to my side of town. I feel like the kids in Brooklyn wouldn't have had a problem with it. They probably would have been like, damn, y'all ain't got no red velvet waffles. Yeah, that's a new thing too that everybody's into all of a sudden. I ain't never ate a red velvet waffle in my life but that's that's the thing now yeah so um i'm gonna order my food and i'm going to eat it and then we're going to talk about shady moments in black history moments in my black history and just moments in black history again that had nothing to do with stella but that affected my life black history moments that i'll never forget so i'm going to try to make like a checklist because i can think of so many moments of blackness that mattered to me but I could this podcast episode would be three hours long and I'm you know here at the table alone you know I, I honestly wish that I'd had some company for this episode because there are a lot of moments in black history that I could touch on and I know that my people would be able to touch on too but Anyway, it's going to be a fun episode. Look, I'm already claiming it. So um, I'm going to, again, take a short pause for the cause. Grab yourself some chicken and waffles and watermelon. And wait till I get back. And again, welcome to my table. Enjoy. See you in a few. Hey, hey, tasters. I am back. I'm back at the table in real life, real time. Now, from the moment that I left you, um, it only seems like a few seconds, but in Stella Belafonte's time, which again is real life, real time, it's actually been days. <laughs> so I have to go backwards. What was I ranting and raving about? Okay. I know I was talking about um, the school, the Hickory Smoke School that served a black history meal for the students. And I stand corrected, but I still stand firm on how I feel about this Generation Z. What's the generation after them? Because we've been calling them Z for a long time. Who are the kids that were born after 1995? What generation is that? I got to look it up. Well, anyway, I did some research. Well, actually, it showed up on my timeline. The school that I was talking about that served up the Black History Lunch was actually a school in Nyack, New York. Now, Nyack, New York is not a black town. And put it out there, Nyack, New York is very white. And I'm assuming that this high school or junior high school that served this lunch had a very light 
amount of black students there, no pun intended. There were very few black students. So I get it now. It's like, okay, you serving this chicken and waffles and watermelon menu. Let's just say that 90% of the student body is white. So are they all sitting around snickering and giggling while the black students are eating watermelon? Is that what they wanted and what they wanted to see? And if that's what was going on, then that really is fucked up. Now, if it had been an all-black school or predominantly minority, as they call blacks and browns, then I would have stood ten toes down in how I felt. Chicken is good, and so is um, waffles and watermelon. But if this school, again, was predominantly white, then um, that's fucked up. And they shouldn't have did that. But I still don't like you, Gen Z. I don't like nothing that's going on with these kids. I keep seeing videos and posts of... Kids um, in school fighting with their teachers, beating people up. Hey, Tasters, did you all see that video? Well, we know about the teacher right now. Again, unless you've been living under a rock that's laying in the hospital, I think with a broken leg because her student popped off on her and um, got really crazy and disrespectful and fought her. And now this woman is laying up recovering in a the hospital. Then there was a video um, a few months back of a woman in Washington, D.C. on a city bus who actually was dragged off of a city, a public transit bus, by a bunch of kids who looked to be about 14, 15 years old. And they grabbed her by her arms and her legs and dragged her off the bus because she asked them to stop using profanity. See, I don't know what the fuck kind of clockwork orange shit is going on right now. Well, let me tell you something. Shout out to my um, boy Quentin Latham, a.k.a. Funky Dineva, who brought up the subject matter about kids. Should adults be able to fight kids? And he always makes a joke that he'll, he'll, he'll fight a kid. That's his joke. It's not a joke to me. Let me tell you something. I've been a child. I was a rough child. I went through a lot of shit. And I did a lot of stupid and disrespectful shit. But I know when to put the cap on it. There's one thing I could never say that I did to an adult. I don't ever recall getting together with a group of children to jump an adult, to lay hands on an adult, to fight an adult. Yeah, I was disrespectful. I definitely cursed an adult out before. I probably told an adult, fuck you. You ain't going to do nothing to me. But I've never laid my hands on an adult. I've never been bold enough. I never had friends that were bold enough to commit robberies or threaten adults. There was another video that um somebody shared to me in my DM, and it was ridiculous. It was about a, a little girl, I think they said in Chicago, a little Spanish girl who walked up to the front door of an apartment, and when the mama opened the door, you see the young girl in a hoodie, turning towards whoever's holding the camera phone going, this your mother? Is this your mother? And just started smacking the shit out of the mother. Just smacking the fuck out of this woman and nobody did anything. So, in my opinion, I feel like when it comes to shit like this, age shouldn't even matter. You know how people say age ain't nothing but a number and you got these people that's out here playing around and fucking with little kids and, and, and playing games with dating young people. Fuck dating them and, and, and doing stupid shit to them. Let's get serious. When these little motherfuckers get out of line and they feel that it's okay to jump in your face and lay hands on you and, and strike out at you, fight back. Fight to, to the I'm not going to say to the death, but tooth and nail, blood and bone if you have to. Tasters, let me tell you something. I ever get a 14, 15-year-old run up in my motherfucking face like they going to do something to me, it's going to be a real bad day for that 14-year-old. Now, I do remember back when, you know, you did have one or two kids that had ignorant parents that would run up to you like, oh, I know you ain't put your hands on my motherfucking child. Well, you know what? I'm just going to have to fight mama too. It's just going to be war out here because I don't know what's going on in the world with these kids just fighting everybody. And, you know, um, you got kids just killing people or putting people in comas and shit. And it's like, oh, what the fuck? But one thing I will say, I feel like we do live in a society now where children are being told that everything that they think and do and feel is okay. You know, it's okay to feel all the feels and have all the emotions and suffer no consequences for it. It's just, you know, somebody made you mad. Hit them. Somebody hurt your feelings. Punch them in the face. And as long as we continue to live like that, there's going to be no joy not long-term joy in the world. This is going to be a very joyless society as long as you keep putting it in kids' heads. When I say kids, anybody 18 and under, that it's okay to just pop off 
based on how you feel. Well, anyway, speaking of feelings, um, I feel real good about um this past Saturday. Again, in real life, real time, it's been days, not seconds, not minutes, since I've been away from the table. And in that time, um, I experienced Galentine's Day with my cousin Buttercup and my Aunt Ritzky. Yes, we had a ball. We went to a comedy show. In New Jersey. Ooh, shout out to my girl Adele Gibbons. I haven't seen Adele Gibbons perform in so long. And she is still hilarious. It was Adele. Bill Bellamy was a host. And um, who else was it? it? It was quite a few acts. Tommy Davidson. Tommy Davidson is not that funny to me anymore. He's had his moments. I think I enjoyed Tommy Davidson in skits more than I do with him doing stand-up. He's still doing the old school shit where it's like, and when black people see somebody running, we run because when white people see people running, they just stand there like, ah, yeah, it's like, ah, but it, uh, that's like old school. And now Eddie Griffin closed out the show and I made a joke to my cousin. I was like, I think this is Eddie Griffin's last, um, show because um he was dropping f-bombs and i ain't talking about fuck that three-letter f-bomb and he didn't give a shit i mean i found all the shit funny but it's like damn eddie griffin you you a wild boy you just don't give a fuck what you said so um and let me recap let's let's go back yeah i'm just going on and on look i'm in the moment and in the mood um Episode 61, I want to give um, a shout out to everybody who listened and enjoyed it. I got plenty feedback. If you all have not listened to Tasty Top Picks Episode 61, it is the sexy story of Mr. Big Wheels. It's a time when I was love bombed and I discussed what the definition of love bombing is. And I'm going to ask you, Taster, since I'm mentioning it, have you ever been love bombed? Did it feel good? Did it feel bad? Look, are you a love bomber? Do you find yourself doing that, whether it's consciously or subconsciously? You know, I, I didn't enjoy my love bombing. I mean, I enjoyed the moments, but not the overall shit that came with it emotionally. So I said I wanted to make this a black history episode. I wanted to talk about moments in black history that made a difference in Stella Belafonte's life. Because it's a lot of shit. And um, I said I wanted to start with, do I want to start with black shade? Because we have suffered a lot of shady black moments <laughs> in black history. And maybe I won't start with the shade. What, or should I? Hmm, give me a second. You hear me flipping my pages? This is to let you know, a lot of this stuff, is it, it's in my mind, but it's not always off the top. Like, I really have to think these things over. And um, these are things that really do affect me. Oh, goodness. Where's, where's my black? Oh, shit, tasters. I might just have to wing it here. Because um, I can't. Okay. No, I found my notes. Here we go. Look, pardon me, pardon me. So, um, oh, let's get into an appetizer right quick. I had dinner at a place in Newark, New Jersey. Get your pens out, get your memo pads, get your phone um, memo together. It's in New Jersey. It's black-owned, a black brand. Here I go shouting people out. It's called Swahili Village. It is a beautiful black-owned restaurant right across the street from NJ Pack. That's New Jersey Performing Arts Center. That's where the comedy show was. And um, the food is delicious. It's African-themed, just gorgeously decorated. The staff was very kind. The food was delicious. Oh, we had... Um, Chicken cutlet and jollof rice, some lamb, look, grilled lamb chops, samosas, some chicken wings. And they had a um, chicken wing appetizer that came with a sauce that was so good. Again, we was trying to figure out the ingredients. We didn't ask what the ingredients were, but we definitely asked for extra of that dipping sauce to go with the rest of our food. Had a couple of drinks. I had my first white sangria. I'm not really big on sangria, but, you know, in the moment, I just wanted something like big and juicy to slurp on before my concert, like a drink that I could nurse throughout my meal. And my sangria came in a really big glass and it had lots of fruit and it was really good. So again, tasters, this is Swahili Village and it is in Newark, New Jersey. And you should definitely, I would say show up there, make reservations. It's definitely good to have reservations. 
after the seven o'clock hour. Because after the seven o'clock hour, that's when they lower the lights and they turn up the music and they play all the good Afro beats and it's just a really nice experience. So anyway, um, as I'm recording this, even though I dropped my episodes on Tuesday, um, we've already passed Super Bowl Sunday. Rihanna did a thing. Go ahead, Rivi. I loved it. Looking um is it's snatching as ever or cute, doing all of her greatest hits. I said the only thing Rivi should have dropped um Pundit Replay. Wouldn't that have been funny? That's what we was introduced to you. As um, a pun to replay girl, but I can understand, you know, that's just too too far back in the archives for her. But um, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I only watched the halftime. Shout out, oh, for Black History to my girl, MC Light, for being the voice of Super Bowl Sunday. Go ahead, Light. Who'd have thought? And that's a part of um, Black History that affected Stella, too. When I was young, I was a real hip-hop head. I'm talking about big, huge, like rap was big to me. And I remember when you would see a rapper like on national TV in like a, what do you call it, mainstream setting. It was like, oh my God, a rapper? A rapper's going to be on David Letterman? They're going to let a rapper say something? That's how, like when rap started, they didn't believe in it. They thought it was going to be like some fly-by-night shit, a passing fancy and almost 50 years later, yeah, tasters, I said it, 50 years later, here we are. Because I'll be 46 this year, and rap, look, hip-hop is older than me. So like I said, almost 50 years later, here we are, and shout out the light. And I am disappointed because of Super Bowl Sunday. They didn't drop an episode of BMF this week. Any of my tasters in the BMF, that's my show. Oh, my goodness. Woo! the Flannori brothers if you don't know the story you better get stars or you better whoever your cable provider is catch up we are already in season two waiting on episode six to drop and I love it the entire cast everybody's so believable the storyline even though everything is based loosely on you know true stories about the drug game from the early 80s in Detroit it's just, the acting is just wonderful. And the storylines, because I know they got to do a lot of ad, not ad-libbing, but they have to embellish, you know, for dramatic effect. But everything that they do is all right with me. So anyway, um, let's get to the main course. Moments in Stella's Black History. You know what? I guess I will start with Black and Shady. One of the shadiest black moments that I could recall when I was young, the Rockettes. The Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall that perform um, big performances, especially for Christmas. They have something called the Great Christmas Spectacular. When I was a little girl, there was only, there were no black Rockettes. There was no such thing as a black Rockette. Yeah, that, those are the dancers with the legs. And I remember those girls were so beautiful to me and they would dress up like the toy soldiers. And I didn't notice, like it wasn't a thing to me when I was a kid until it was mentioned. I would have never noticed had it not come out that they would be hiring their first black rockette. Isn't that some shady shit? There were no black rockettes for decades that performed at Rockefeller Center. And the reason, you ready for the shade tasters? The reason was they felt that a black rockette would ruin the look, the uniformity, the appearance. Like, you know, everything was supposed to be such straight line. And, you know, they would dress up like wooden soldiers and dolls. And a black rockette, because, you know, as black women, we're all one shade, you know. So one black rockette would have just messed up the whole thing. Now, that's some shady black shit. <laughs> what about, um... Yeah, let's get into some more black shade. What about um the things that I was teased about? Moments in black shade for my history. I was teased for having big lips. I still cannot wrap my head around the fact that big lips are in style. Tasters, I got so much flack for having big lips as a kid that I would cry myself to sleep at night. I had to defend myself against, um, and that's the thing. Um, all black people do not have big lips, or at least not lips as big as mine. Because the way I got teased for it, I you'd have thought I had the biggest lips in the world. 
A lot of the fighting that I learned was from defending myself as a kid against ignorant, stupid motherfuckers that would say things about my lips being big. And I think I mentioned this before in another episode. The first time that I heard somebody say, oh, your lips is big. You must suck dick. It really burnt me up because I didn't know. I knew what dick was, but I didn't know that it was for sucking. But you know what? I know now. And I ain't ashamed. I'm an adult. And I know what these lips do. But when I was a little girl, and to hear somebody say, ooh, your lips are big, you must suck dick, that was some shady motherfucking shit. But I'm going to give some shade. I feel like most of the kids that spoke like that when I was little came from really shitty backgrounds. They were probably from like really like fucked up households where they didn't get fed three meals a day, probably didn't get bathed. You know, nobody washed their clothes. There was icky, just itchy, scratchy, funky, dirty. Yeah, because those are the only type of motherfucking kids. Look, that wasn't Gen Z back then. That These were the Gen Xers back then that teased each other like that. Because good, clean kids that came from decent homes didn't say things like that. Oh, they might have teased. But I don't think that children from decent backgrounds said things like, Oh, your lips are big. That means you suck dick. So, you know, to... All of the shady motherfuckers that tried to make me feel bad about having big lips who now running to get lip plumpers. Yeah, because I'm sure a couple of the, the bitches that teased me for having big lips back then is out trying to get... You know they got some fucking lip gloss that makes your lips burn and sting so that they'll swell? Go figure. Who'd have thought that people would want swollen lips? Now that is some shady black history for you. And here's another one. I'm going to give the last one. I think I'll do three in each category. What about y'all's girl, Paula Dean? Remember Paula Dean, the chef? She was the cook that used butter and everything. Hey, y'all. Then ain't that how Paula Dean used to talk? What's up, y'all? Old fat white lady that did a whole lot of cooking, baking biscuits and making everything buttery. Remember Paula Dean said that she wanted to have I got to sip on this one. She wanted to have an old-fashioned brunch at her home. Look, at her sprawling estate. And when she said old-fashioned, she meant old-fashioned. She basically wanted slave cosplay for her brunch at her estate. She wanted black women that would dress like mammies and maids. And she wanted black men to be dressed like butlers. And she wanted them to serve her guest. And um, everybody says that the reason why Paula was canceled is because they heard that she liked to use the word, you know, the N-word, the nigga word. We say nigga on this show. Um, yeah, I'm sure that it was a part of it, but I don't think anybody ever caught Paula out loud or recorded her saying nigga. But they definitely have evidence of her not having an issue or understanding why it was an issue. That she wanted to have um, black slave cosplay for her brunch. So, yeah, fuck you, Paula Dean, for that shady black moment in black history. And then let's get into some black love, black and scandalous. Let's talk about, okay, tasters. This is for us old heads. Look, this is for all my tasters that's, um, we so old that we enjoy Haagen-Dazs. We don't eat gelato. We still like butter pecan Haagen-Dazs and cheesecake from Junior's. Excuse me. Yeah, this is for the old set. Us, um, 40 and better crowd who can remember when these people were actually alive and active. So, for my younger listeners, you might say, hmm, that's interesting, but I don't know who the fuck Stella's talking about. You can either tune out or tune in and get some knowledge. Anyway, for black and scandalous history, let's talk about the great, gorgeous Diane Carroll, a.k.a. Dominique Devereaux from Dynasty. Everybody remember how fine Diane Carroll was back in the days? Well, my introduction to Diane Carroll Tasters was the movie Claudine. If you don't remember Claudine, it was a movie from the 1970s where Diane Carroll, look, shout out to my favorite down south cousin, Glenn PJ, because Claudine is one of her favorite movies. Diane Carroll played a single mother on welfare living in Harlem in the 1970s who had no, who had five kids and no husband, no man at all, steadily, until... The actor James Earl Jones, 
who played a sanitation worker in the movie, came through with his big, strong self and his hairy chest to marry her and whisk her away. Ooh, that was a good movie. I love Claudine. If you don't know about Claudine, get into it. Lord, who remembers the soundtrack from Claudine? Oh, keep away from me. Mr. Welfare, I ain't gonna lie to you, this might sound really shady and crazy, but Diane Carroll made being on welfare and, and having a bunch of kids just look so groovy and fun. Like, she, it wasn't disgusting. Like, she loved her children, she kept a clean house, she had a tight body, she was gorgeous, she got a lot of motherfucking kids, you know? And as fine as Diane Carroll was in that movie, I ain't surprised. Well, anyway, I brought up Diane Carroll to say, did you all know that back in the days, Diane Carroll was in a torrid, wild, passionate love affair with the actor, the fine Caribbean actor, Sidney Poitier? Yes, I'm talking about Sidney. They call me Mr. Tibbs Poitier from In the Heat of the Night. And Uptown Saturday Night Tasters, when I tell you that blew my mind. Now, that was some black love and scandal for me. So, apparently, he was so in love with Diane Carroll that he wanted her to move in with him. And this was in their prime. I'm talking about in their late 30s, early 40s, back in the days. And at the time that Sidney Poitier was in love with Miss Diane Carroll, apparently, she had a daughter. And he didn't want any parts of that daughter in their world. He wanted to just run away with Diane and just make passionate love till kingdom come in his big mansion. Oh, yeah, he wanted Diane to move in with him. And she was going to. If I'm not mistaken, she actually did. Or, like, the movers had already come and she was about to move in. And Sidney put his foot down. It was like, no, no, Diane. I will have no parts of your daughter. It's me and you forever. If you need to bring your daughter, then you don't need to be with me. Oh, taste this. Can you imagine? Like, why we can't get a love story about Diane Carroll and Sidney Poitier? You know, they keep shoving fucking Elvis Presley down everybody's throats. We done heard at least three different versions of Elizabeth Taylor. You know, you know, Elizabeth was, she was a diva. She was great, I guess, for her time, but I don't give a fuck about Elizabeth Taylor, even though white diamonds when it popped off. Ooh, that was some good smelling stuff. What they say, you want to smell like a rich old white lady? Spray on some white diamonds, but fuck Elizabeth Taylor and her white diamonds. Diane Carroll was gorgeous. And I love hearing about old school stuff like that. I was so intrigued when I heard about her in Sydney. And then they said that Diane Carroll actually wrote a tell-all, like an autobiography back in the days. I didn't know nothing about Tasters. I'm about to look it up on Amazon and add it to my book card. They said that when Diane and her fell apart, Diane and Sydney fell apart, rather than Sydney Portier would get real vicious with her. She said that I would come home and I would check my answering machine, because back in the days, Tasters, they didn't have voicemail. They had answering machines. And she said, Sydney would leave me some of the most vile and vicious messages ever. Ooh, Tasters, and this my old Tasters. Look, this for all you old heads. Can you imagine the type of vile and vicious Voice notes, excuse me, answering machine messages that Sidney Poitier would leave for Diane Carroll with her gorgeous self. I can imagine him just sitting outside. One day, me and my homeboy, we went over it, just joking about the things that he probably said back then. Like, oh, Diane, you bitch. You cold-hearted bitch. You've broken my heart. And now you run away with your daughter and you don't want me anymore. Well, I don't want you either, but I'm watching you. Because I think she mentioned something about how he would be sitting outside of his Mercedes. And I think he did have an apartment in Harlem or something. Or she did. And he would be watching her. Oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, that's it for the black and the scandal. Well, not exactly it. This is still for my old heads. Who can remember when the great singer Lionel Richie got his ass whooped by his wife, Brenda? Remember Brenda and Lionel was together? Didn't she beat him up with a baseball bat, caught him cheating on her, and ran up in a hotel room? <laughs> And what Lionel Richie asked for cheating on her. Yes, that was some black scandal. And ooh, tasters, I got to give one more. 
the biggest black scandal of all from when I was a little girl. And I can remember it clearly because this was a very, very big deal. Tasters, how many of you all were old enough to remember when Marvin Gaye, the late singer, the late beautiful R&B singer, Mr. Motown himself, excuse me, ooh, Look, I just finished eating tasters, so it's look, it's, it's, it's just going through me. Excuse me, I got the hiccups. When Marvin Gaye was assassinated by his own father. Ooh, tasters, where were you? Look, my older tasters, 40 and better. Where were you the day that Marvin Gaye was killed? Or the day that you heard the news? Let me tell you, tasters, I was a very little girl. And I was actually with my mother waiting for my grandfather to come pick me up because I may have told you all this once upon a time. I was a weekend kid. My mother was a weekend mother. I only stayed with her from Friday night till Sunday night. And it was a Sunday. And I'll never forget, me and my mother were sitting in the house and she was just ignoring me or whatever she was doing, packing my clothes for the week. And... The phone started ringing and the bell. It's like the phones and the bells at the same time. The house phone, somebody was banging on her door. It was a neighbor crying tasters. And it was like, oh my God, they killed him. They killed Marvin. And then the phone started ringing. It was my grandmother. My grandmother was calling to talk to my mother about how Marvin Gaye was dead. Then my other aunt, oh, she called and phones. And then it was like a party line. And I remember it was just such a big deal. And they turned on the news and they were talking about Marvin Gaye was killed today by his father. Like, oh, that was some black scandal for your ass. But it was a very deep part of Stella Belafonte's black history. Because, um, let's shout out my cousin Buttercup. She made fun of me because we found an old notebook of mine from first grade, actually. And um, we did that in my house. We had a lot of keepsakes. And we found a notebook of mine that I had wrote in the first grade. For my daily, we had to write every day how we felt in first grade. And that was to, um, I'm not going to shout out my first grade teacher because she was actually a demon. She was, and I found out years later that she was an alky. And she was a demon piece of shit that used to beat on us. But then there was a few of us that I know she didn't put her hand to. And I always thought that was rather funny. But um, we'll talk about that on another day. A bad taste in my mouth. But I wrote in my journal in Miss Huggins' class. She's dead. So I'll call her name out. She's definitely been dead over 30 years. That I am very sad today. Marvin Gaye has passed away. Yes, I took that to heart tasters because it was a really big deal. You know, I was a little girl, but you know, I was a little black girl. And that was a part of my black history. Now let's talk about some moments that was black and amazing. I don't know why I can remember this, but back in the days, Diana Ross, when she was um the Beyonce at the moment, and she was um, shaking the world. She had left the Supremes and was dancing and singing and wearing all her long flowing weaves and shiny costumes. Diane did a, did a concert one year. I think it may have been Central Park. I'm not exactly sure. But my little black self can remember Diana Ross performing. And out of nowhere, it was at night. It started raining tasters. A fucking downpour. Thunder and lightning. And Diana Ross was singing in the rain, and she didn't stop. That was a moment in black amazing history for me. Another moment in black amazing history for me, I lived through apartheid tasters. For all of you that don't know, I'm not old enough to experience the Jim Crow era. I was definitely born about 10 years after, 10, 20 years after Jim Crow was over. But when I was a little girl, there was still a Jim Crow type of law in South Africa. It was called apartheid. You actually had white people that took South Africa, split it up into pieces, and black people were not allowed to have certain things, go certain places, do certain shit. White people were allowed to do everything. And the system was called apartheid. I was telling my friend Lachey, ooh, shout out Lachey. Um, because we were just talking about Africa overall, how Africa is such a big deal and everybody's traveling there now. And, you know, why wasn't it like that before? And I'll explain why it wasn't like that before. Because Africa wasn't a good place to visit. There were parts that my black ass back in the days, if I was as old then as I am now, that we were not allowed to travel to. We were not allowed to visit. Black people were not welcome. 
It was not a vacation destination. None of Africa. Almost none of it. Not Nigeria, not Ghana, not Senegal, not South Africa for sure. And I lived through that. I lived through apartheid. I lived through the dismantling of apartheid. I even lived through Nelson Mandela coming home, who eventually became the president or prime minister of South Africa. But we'll talk about that. As a matter of fact, yeah, let's talk about those amazing moments in my black history. I lived through apartheid, the dismantling of that system. I remember um, my black self trying to discover my own blackness. There was a point where we talked about the Daisy Age. Everybody was on some natural stuff. This was even before Common and Lauren Hill, before the Dirty Backpack Click. You had what was called the Native Tongues. That was a tribe called Quest, Queen Latifah, the Jungle Brothers, and they bragged about they didn't wear no gold. They, who remembers black medallions? They were these pieces that you wore around your neck. And they had like the Lion of Judah on them, you know, like the Rasta flag, Jamaican flag or the colors. That's when I discovered what the red, the black and the green meant. And it was just such a big deal to me. And that was like a big moment in my black history, trying to find out who I was, trying to discover myself. This is before Black Lives Mattered. That was just great to me. And I really was into all of that. Even with my dating style. I really wanted to date like Hoteps. I wanted to date. If, I, if your name was like Divine. Or, or something like that. Like I was into you. Like I didn't even want to date you. Unless you talk righteous. That's what they called it back then. If you was talking righteous. And you knew your math. And you was part of the 5% nation. Ooh wee. If you was, look, and back then we called it a 5%er. And then I even was dating a dude from the 5% nation who had to correct me. Like, nah, we're not no 5%ers. We are part of the 5% nation. If you was part of the 5% nation, you was definitely getting more than 5% of Stella's heart and, and time and, 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 and good nature. <laughs> so, yeah, that was definitely a big, important part. Of my black history. And the fact that I lived through the Black Lives Matter movement. Let's talk about it, tasters. Yeah, this is Black History Month. Just seeing the whole system get upturned. They were taking down statues. You know how many statues there are around the world of our oppressors? They were just proudly standing. What about the statue of the so-called father of modern gynecology that was standing in Manhattan for so many years? The, the oppressor that... He learned most of his practice by experimenting on black women. Can you imagine back in the days having no rights, no say-so, and you got this white man, this evil white man, just doing experiments on your anatomy, on your womanly parts, trying to discover what worked and what didn't, what made things go wrong, what diseases did what, how to fix this and cure this with no anesthesia. No pain meds. So, yeah, I watched that whole entire system come down in 2020, tasters. I remember coming home during 2020. Everybody was tired. We were at the height of the pandemic. You know, they had just killed George Floyd. I came home. I turned on the news. They was outside fighting cops like it was WWF wrestling. I came on my block around the corner from my building. There was a burnt out car. Somebody sprayed Black Lives Matter on it. I drove past fucking 88 Precinct, Clawson Avenue. And the 88 Precinct had burnt out patrol cars in the front. Ooh, that was a crazy wild and amazing moment in black history let's talk about even black performances you see i just went from went to a comedy show my most amazing moment in black comedy honestly i had to shout out eddie murphy eddie murphy was a big deal to me because even though i'm a 70s baby and i can recall my family members listening to richard Pryor. you know i live with my grandparents my grandmother took it as far back as having mom's Mabley albums like that was old school to me you know it was funny when you was allowed to hear it or you snuck in the room while everybody was listening to it and heard it but that was over my head when eddie murphy stepped on the stage with a tight ass snakeskin suit and a dick print hair slicked back with an S-curl and a gold chain on, and got on the mic and started talking about pussy and motherfuckers, that was a 
big moment in black history for me. Because I never thought I'd see the day. Now, mind you, Eddie Murphy wasn't new to me. Because I was a Saturday Night Live watching kid. Saturday Night Live been on definitely for 100 years. <laughs> so that was just something that people sat up late and watched on Saturday Night. And I think that black people really only started watching Saturday Night Live specifically for Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was a kid when he started Saturday Night Live. And it's like... As they were watching him, they felt something in his, you know, in the spirit. They knew that he was the next best thing that was going to happen to comedy. And you know what? They were right. Next thing you know, like I said, Eddie Murphy was on stage talking shit. He was singing with Rick James, party all the time. Then he was Axel Foley, and the rest is history. Black history. Big moments in Stella Belafonte's black history. Like I said, I lived through a lot. I got to see a lot and I'm grateful for it. You know, every year I feel like we do a lot of posting and we say happy Black History Month. But what moments in black history matter to you? Like I said, in the most recent years, the Black Lives Matter movement, like I still can't believe it. I remember looking out my window one day because I heard drums. There were people marching down the street and beating drums and they were saying no justice, no peace. No more black blood in these streets. No justice, no peace. I can just remember them just shutting down highways and protesting all that was happening to us from sea to shining sea. And it was a big deal to me. So I'm just curious, Tasters. Send it to me. Send it in the email. What's a big moment in black history that you would like to touch on and you would like Stella to discuss? Another big moment in my black history is this. Me having my own podcast, me being a little black girl who I'm not going to say nobody believed in, but I didn't believe in myself because again, taste this. I'm going to talk about my mother sometimes. She wasn't a very good person. I had mentioned before that although my mother never called me ugly, she made it a point to often remind me that I wasn't pretty. But even though I wasn't pretty, she saw something in me. And she thought that I could be something as far as entertainment, but there was an imbalance. She didn't foster it. Like you can't take me to ballet class and perform in art schools on the weekends, you know, during the day. And this is what you're doing in front of people. But then outside of earshot and when nobody's looking, you're a whole fucking monster. You're a fucking demon. You're abusive. You're, you're, you're evil. You're angry. You're, you're, you're troubled and you're taking it out on me. But a great moment, again, in Stella's black history is the fact that I'm here now and that I'm able to do this podcast and I have an audience and you listen to me and you like me and you love me. Or maybe you don't like me and you don't love me and you don't want to hear what I have to say. And then you don't have to listen. So, um... I also want to talk about moments in black love. When did black love, like, how can I explain what I'm getting at? When did black love matter to Stella? I'm not talking about the things you saw, like, in your household. Like, yes, I had two parents. I had my grandparents or whatever. But, like, even in movies or, like, around you. Like, was there a couple in your neighborhood that you used to watch when you were young? I think we all had that couple or sort of like the teenagers, the big kids. Maybe you want to be like the big kids. Well, I did. And it was a couple that you wanted to be like. Well, surprisingly, tasters, I got a good um, tasty story for you. It's not even really tasty. There was a young woman in my church. I'm not going to call out her name because I don't know where she is and if she listens. And um, we're going to call her. Let's just call her Kayla. She was so pretty. And Kayla was a member. I went to St. Peter Claver Catholic Church. I will call that church out. And as mean as my mother was, she made sure that we went to church every Sunday. I was baptized, had first communion, everything. And it was a, a predominantly black Catholic church in Bed-Stuy. It still stands. And I would watch Kayla. And she was dating a cat. Let's call him Rodney. Look, that was a big name back in the days. Look, we had a lot of Rodneys and, 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 and Lamonts back in the days when I was a little girl. So we'll say Kayla was dating Rodney. And I remember being in church. 
and our priest had said prayer and there was a point where we had to get on our knees. And I remember I wasn't being nosy, but I happened to look up in front of me and in the pew in front of me, Kayla and Rodney were on their knees together and they were holding hands and they were in prayer together. And tasters, when I tell you, when I looked at them, I remember thinking as a little girl, I want whatever that is. Because Kayla was so gorgeous. Oh, let me describe her tasters. Oh, I got to do her justice. Kayla was one of those. First of all, she was definitely from the West Indies. I think Kayla might have been from Barbados or Grenada. She had really dark skin. Long, healthy, silky, flowing black hair. She wore glasses, but she just was sexy. She was one of those young girls that was so sexy and sophisticated. Back in the days at that time, Kayla and Rodney was probably only about 18 years old. But in my mind, they was about 38 years old because they just were so grown and, and sexy acting. And I remember Kayla just had a body on her. Even back then, I knew what body is. And now when I think back, she looks like somebody that might have ran track. Like she had real strong, pretty legs and calves. And Kayla wore high heels to church. Yes, she did. She wore pumps and she wore her skirt. Nothing disrespectful, but her skirt was just touching her knee. And she wore pumps and Rodney was beautiful. Let me tell you about fine-ass Rodney. Rodney wore gazelles to church with his suit and he had waves. He had the waves going to the side back in the days. I forgot what they call it. I got to ask my, my barber bestie, what do you call it when your waves go to the side? Well, he had side waves. Then I remember he had a little rat tail at one point. It wasn't even a little rat tail. It wasn't the braid. It was like the little poof. And he wore gazelles, and he had a gold chain, and he was so fine. And I would just watch Rodney and Kayla in prayer together and just sitting together. Like if we had like a church function after church, and they would just sit together, and they would be in their own world. And to me, that was black love. But what was my first taste of black love? You know what I never really talked about? I never talked about my first. The one who took my precious bee from me. Nah, Madam Tasters, again, a moment in black history. Nelson Mandela had just been released from prison and we actually had a rally at my junior high school. I actually went to a charter junior high school before that was even a thing back in the days. It was called Satellite East. And they had a concert in honor of Nelson Mandela's release from prison. And they were playing again, like all of this, you know, black native tongues music and all of this pro-black conscious rap. And I had my black medallion on. I probably had on oversized jeans and I felt like a pair of arms around me. And I was just rocking, rocking to the music. And they asked everybody to put a fist in the air. We were young I was in junior high school tasters, and the DJ we had was like, raise your black fist, put a fist in the air, and I felt somebody's arms around me. And when I looked, turned around, it was my first beautiful look, beautiful light-skinned dream. He was light-skinned with wavy hair and hazel eyes and tasters. All I know is I felt that man's arms around me. And we had our fist in the air, and we was rocking back and forth to the music, and he whispered something pro-black in my ear, and next thing you know, we left that party. And we took a walk together, and we sat on somebody's car, and we started talking, and cuddling, and getting in close, and next thing you know, that summer, after getting to know him, I was no longer a virgin. Now, he turned out to be a rotten piece of cat shit. <laughs> but the moment that I met him in is a moment that I wouldn't give back for the world. It was just such an amazing moment. I was in my super, super early teens. Like I said, I was in junior high school. You do the math, and all I'm going to say is he wasn't. He was not in junior high school. He was definitely deeply into high school, um, if not yet a graduate. But that's not the point. The point is that was a big moment in my black history. So anyway, tasters, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moments in 
Stella's black history that mattered to her. Black Lives Matter, Black Love, Black and Amazing. And again, um, hey, Riri, for doing your Super Bowl Sunday and doing all your greatest hits. And we got a lot of black amazing things going on right now. You know, there's a lot of bullshit, too. Like I said, kids fighting adults. And, you know, we still can't get it right when it comes to committing ridiculous crimes. But there's a lot of amazing black things happening as far as the culture, music, Food. I've never seen so many black-owned restaurants coming up. So many black creatives. You know, I've listed a few that you should follow. If you don't know them, you should go back and start following them. Like I said, put them in your notes. Shout out to all of my fave black podcasters, my black YouTubers. Um, people are out here making some major moves. And that is my plan. I want to, I intend to make major moves too. You know what? I'm out here doing it. I'm moving. Um... I want to shout out to one of my homeboys who's about to be, look out for him, on Views of an Ex. We actually have a um, meeting scheduled tomorrow regarding his episode. Um, if any of my tasters are familiar and follow my boy Llama on Views of an Ex, then um, you'll know what I'm talking about. So stay tuned for my boy on Views of an Ex. I'm going to mention it as um, we get closer to the date. I want you to look out for it. I feel like that's going to be a very tasty episode. And if you all don't follow Views of an Ex, you should. I've been up there twice, apparently. I'm a crowd favorite. There was just a post up a couple of days ago after a bit of flim-flam in the podcast world. And the overall... Basically, it was said, bring back Stella. So I'm going to leave it at that. So anyway... That's it for today's episode of Tasty Topics. Thank you for meeting me at my table. No, I don't have a boy have I ever. I don't have a I know you fucking lying. You know what? I will come up with a I know you fucking lying. Um, <laughs> I could tell it because it's funny to me. I'm going to bring it back to my first since I mentioned him with his Fine, no good ass. And we actually tried to reconnect later in life. But you know what? A piece of shit is a piece of shit. You can't sprinkle um, potpourri on shit and gold dust and think that it's going to transform into something else. Shit is what it is and shit is as it stays. So anyway, let's go back to this piece of shit. Before he was shit to me, again, this beautiful, light-skinned, light-eyed, curly-haired man was one of the most pro-black young men. And then, isn't that funny how most of our pro-black brothers or a lot of them, they just be so outside of the black aesthetic. It's, it didn't it seem like it's always some light-skinned, light-eyed, silken-haired brother that turns out to be so black. But I mean, hey, it is what it is. We come in many shades. So anyway, my light-skinned, light-eyed, curly dream, like I said, tastes the night that we met, this was at a party in, rep in reference to Nelson Mandela's release from prison. And he put his arms around me, whispered something in my ear. I turned to him and we walked off. Oh, I was very trusting back then, especially if he was cute. If you was cute, look, you do that shit nowadays. You walk off with somebody because they're cute and you. That'd be your final walk. <laughs> shit. Um, well, I walked off with him and... We ended up on a block near my junior high school. You know what? I am going to tell it. We actually ended up right in front of St. Peter Claver Church on somebody's car. So he sat on the car and we were talking and he pulled me to him. And honestly, Texas, I can remember that night clear as day. He kissed me. Remember back in the days when you was young and kissing was just so good. He kissed me, and he had actually been eating a sugar daddy. You all remember them big, giant lollipops? I don't even know if they still make them. The big caramel on a stick. So when he kissed me, his kiss was so sweet. And I can remember him sitting on the car, and he pulled me to him. And it felt like TV, and it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have my TV moment. Look, I'm acting like Joan from Girlfriends. Like, yes, this is going to be my TV kissy moment. And it was like real TV. And then I felt him grab my hand. And next thing you know, I didn't feel hand no more. I felt a dick. That's what it was. It was a big, stiff 
dangling in my hand. While he was kissing me, he pulled his dick out of his pants and placed it into my hand. And tasters, I didn't know what to do with that dick. I was in junior high school and I didn't have any dick play at this point. And yeah, surprisingly, and I didn't know what to do with the dick. And my hand started shaking and um, I dropped the dick tasters. I dropped the dick. So <laughs> that's the, I know you fucking lying. And he laughed because he was like, okay, yeah, you definitely young. Like, I think I lied about my age. I don't know. Look, my big dumb ass in junior high school. Ah, uh, who knows? I think I told the nigga I was 16. He didn't exactly know that that was my school. Because just to let you know, Tasters, that night, even though it was a party at the junior high school, there were people coming in from the outside. Like, anybody was invited. I don't even... It, it, it might have been a ticket, like a $5 ticket affair. And they were just letting anybody in. They were not um, vetting. There was no vetting process. They were not checking these young boys at the door. They was not pot patting them down. So you had a bunch of 7th and 8th grade girls mixing and mingling with... um. Guys who were very much older. I'm just going to leave it at that. So, yeah, um, it started out with my fist pumping in the air. And the night ended um, from a fist pump to a dick in my palm. <laughs> so, that's it, tasters. I'm over and out. And, again, thank you for joining me at my table. And now I got to hit you with an AKA because I got to let you all know, when I did Heart of Soft Podcast, I wasn't ready. Everybody's got um, their AKAs, and a lot of podcasts do that. I've never done that before. So when it got to me, and it was like, okay, Stella, your turn. And I was like, Stella, the, well, I didn't have an AKA. So now I've got several AKAs, and I'm going to drop a couple on you. So, tasters, again, thank you for joining me at my table. I hope you enjoyed today's content, and I'm out of here. Stella Belafonte, that's Stella Belafonte, a.k.a. Stella the lover, Stella the dreamer, Stella the master storyteller, Stella the sage, Stella takes a licking and keeps on ticking, Stella the writer, Stella the warrior, Stella your favorite home record, Stella never too late, Stella to keep on moving, Stella the podcaster, Stella worldwide, Stella the finisher, that's finisher, Stella Belafonte. I'm out of here. Bye.